0: Love Hope Radio.
1: So now we have our fabulous Facebook people. We have our very wonderful crew over at the Vibe Radio Network, and we are pretty much ready to go.
0: I say that now. There's a cat behind us.
1: The cats are uh,
0: cats are getting all amped up. Cats are zooming.
1: And this week, I don't know what's going to happen this week. It's Review week.
0: It, it, there's a We've
1: a week. We've been talking up this coming weekend for
0: a long
1: time now, and it's almost upon us. And to say that... Are
0: we who are about to... <laughs> <something>. <laughs> we salute
1: you. Cheers, everybody. So, yes, uh, as we've been talking about this weekend, of course, we have the Churchill Irish Festival. So that is going to be right outside of your uh, of Richmond corporate headquarters. And uh, we will have a, a booth there all weekend. Uh, can't promise you're going to see us there. but um, We will uh, be
0: there for part of the time, but not the whole time, because we're going to be at the GalaxyCon getting four panels.
1: Yes, so we'll be busy doing that. Our, our fantastic guides with, are going to be helping us both at the table, at the Churchill Irish Festival, and with giving the panels at GalaxyCon. Yep. So we got all that going on this weekend. Uh, and I don't know if we mentioned it last time, but if you need a fresh reminder, for GalaxyCon,
0: we are
1: we have a panel on Friday evening at eight o'clock. That is going to be our haunted amusement parks.
0: On Saturday at 1.15, we have authors in the paranormal, uh, and then at four four forty five, forty five it'll be uh, death on the a list. Yep, and then on Sunday at
1: noon, we will be having our Spooky pop culture or scary pop culture inspiration uh, panel. Yes. So we'll be there all three days.
0: Yes. And you do need a ticket, and they are going fast. So if you have not bought a ticket, you need to buy it now.
1: Yes. So there's no additional charge to get into the panel that panels that we're going to be giving, or most of the panels for that matter. But you're you do have to pay for general admission to Galaxy Con to get it. Yep. So you can go check out just like Google Galaxy Con Richmond. It'll come right up. A whole lot of stuff going on. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of famous celebrities there too, doing the whole autograph tape thing. Going to be a lot of fun there. We we could rant on about that for a while. Check it out for yourself.
0: Anyway. And a couple, there's actually going to be quite a few paranormal panels. Yes. Um, it's not just us, but the uh, David from the Holster Files will be there as well, giving yep. a couple of panels. There's another author who's going to be giving a couple of, of paranormal panels. Um, so, yeah, it, it's actually a heavy, spooky – Got some spooky stuff this year. to come this year. I, I'm loving it.
1: Yep. So looking forward to that. And, again, yes, Churchill Irish Festival, um, that is uh, on Saturday and Sunday from 10 to 6 both days. And uh, to get in, it is a uh, $5 admission. It's Effectively, it's a donation, it's a donation though. donation
0: to the church. And, uh, they support for- a whole – litany of
1: uh, charities from the proceeds of this yes, hospital. So.
0: including St. Baldrick, which one of our guys actually does that. Uh, get her uh, her
1: um, head, uh, shaved. head
0: shaved for that, so that's really cool that she's space in that. Yep,
1: yeah, she'll be having having that done this week. She normally does the event that they have down in the uh, Norfolk area for it, but uh, she missed that, but she did say that she's going to be doing it this week all the same. Yeah, She might have already done it. In any case. Yeah, we haven't seen her since this weekend. So. We, just, we digress. <laughs> a whole lot going on, and I uh, hope that you can come on out and see us at GalaxyCon and or the Churchill Irish Festival yeah. this weekend. Excuse me. This is a little chatty. Well, so this is your
0: second one.
1: And I don't know how many this week. <laughs>
0: lunch. lunch about. All right, so we're going to dive into Haunted Ireland Part 3, because, yeah, we seem to do this every year. We're going to have to figure out what I'm doing for Part 4 of New Year. There's plenty. Oh, there's plenty. I just have
1: yeah, Ireland yeah, what I'm doing. has no end of the list of the spooky stuff that they have to offer. So yeah. whole lot to go ahead and talk about. We got a, just a, a tiny sampling. Yeah, it's
0: not as long as our last first because well things have been busy. Yeah. So well, um, but we still have a good good selection of stories for you.
1: Yes. And with the way that we sometimes can digress and banter and stuff like that. We could stretch it out. Yes, again. Because that's what
0: we do. But we're going to start in County Sligo at the Styod Abbey ruins in Old Bundoran Road. Excuse me. Uh, This is a pair of of tales in the northwest of Ireland. First, we find the ruins of Styod Abbey, situated near the town of Grange, right on the shores of the merciless Atlantic Ocean. The abbey has been battered by the elements for centuries, and the name Styod translates to stop in Gaelic. Reflecting on its one-time purpose as a stop for pilgrims en route to the nearby Innsmury Island. Nearby the ruins of the abbey, you can find what might seem like an out-of-place monument dedicated to three ships of the Spanish Armada. Yep, Spanish Armada. Spanish Armada.
1: Um, This little remote corner of Ireland.
0: So it is here that this haunting tale of the abbey begins. In 1588, the Spanish Armada was caught in a storm in the North Sea and was left with only one route home. They rounded the, uh, the north of Scotland and proceeded down the west coast of Ireland, but they were far from home free. The three ships floundered in the sea god sound and it's alleged that a thousand Spanish sailors perished in the carnage. Even for a few that made it to the shore, they were far from safe. Because the Armada was part of Philip II of Spain's failed attempt to escape invade Britain. And well the British forces who occupied Ireland at the time were not pleased to find Spanish sailors on their shore. Even if they were not any uh, were not in any semblance of fighting shape, the Spanish soldiers were unfortunate enough to be captured and they were hung at the Abbey. In the centuries since their death, many shades of Spanish soldiers have been seen amongst the ruins of Sayad Abbey and along the shores of the Stre Dog Sound. There collectively terrifying and chilling presence lingering in this corner of Ireland, but they're not the only spirits who linger here from the generations past. If you try to leave on the shores of County Sligo and head north to Donegal, use caution. If you find yourself along the old Gordon Road, well, you may see shadowy men wearing caps along the road, accompanied by a jarring sound of gunfire. <coughs> Excuse me. These sights and sounds are believed to be an echo of events that took place here back in 1920s amidst the Irish Civil War. Of course, the anti-treaty forces, outgunned and outmanned, were forced uh, to resort to guerrilla warfare as their tenuous hold on the countryside slipped away. While the war was fairly brief, the bitterness ran deep and lingered for generations after the conflict came to an end, a bitterness that some spirits are still carrying with them a century after the events. <laughs> So yes, Yuna
1: know, seems a little confused by our, our friend on the couch tonight. The kids are very accustomed to them.
0: They're used to sitting on them with blankets, but he's been in the window for a month now. It's a little odd that he's on the couch.
1: Yeah. It is what it is. But yes, uh, <laughs> Roberta, Roberta says that it uh, looks like he might need a little bit of corned beef.
0: Uh, we almost finished up the lamb. I still got bangers so that I can do nice bangers in that. Ashwood.
1: But yeah, he is uh, he, he's a little thin now. He, he probably needs something to uh, kind of soak up the,
0: the gin.
1: The, the, you, the Guinness get the Guinness. And maybe some gin and some whiskey and whoever whatever else. Whatever cook. else he's been getting into since <laughs> we're not around and watching. But anyway. <laughs> so from uh, from Sligo we're going to go and move to uh Northern Ireland, and uh, here we get several miles off the shores of County Antrim, and we find Rathlin Island. It's a small volcanic chunk of land that has witnessed histories that exceed the physical limits of this small spit of land. Some of the earliest records of settlement on the island end in fire and blood. It has got quite uh, quite the rocky history to it. No pun intended, but... Wraithland was listed in the Annals of Ulster as the first location of Viking raids on Ireland. And the buildings that they uh, came across when they arrived there were plundered and burned by the invaders. So, not off to a great start. Ruins on the island provide evidence of events tied to the first Scottish War of Independence. Yes, Scotland. Uh, It is pretty darn close to Scotland, uh, out there in the uh, North Passage between the two countries. And it's here that we find the ruins that are known as Bruce's Castle, uh, that they speak to a time at the start of the 14th century when it is said that the king of the Scots, Robert the Bruce, went into hiding on the island with his faithful warriors following a sobering defeat at the, ark, uh, at the hands of the British Army. British? No, not British. English. English. Yeah, not, Army. Not British. Yeah. No, not British. Pardon the, uh, pardon the transgression there. Hands of the English Army army who was uh, being led by King Edward I at that point in time. time. Now legend holds that as Robert lay despairing of his defeat against the English, he watched a spider trying to get from one beam to the next on a single thread. He watched as the spider failed to span the gap six times, a better reminder of the six failed battles that he had waged against the English. In a moment of inspiration, Robert decided that if the spider succeeded on the seventh attempt, he would return to Scotland and take up arms once more. As fate would have it, the spider does succeed, and eight years later, Robert the Bruce stood victorious at the Battle of Bannockburn, a turning point in the first Scottish War for Independence. Though Robert the Bruce and his men returned to Scotland, another legend says that they lay at rest on Raichland to this day. In a cave near Bruce's, uh, where Bruce's castle stood, the men are under the spell of an enchanted sleep. And the story is that once they wake, they will rise up and unite Greatland to Scotland.
0: Got a little bit of King Arthur legend
1: there. Yeah, they're going to steal away a little bit of Irish land and absorb it into Scotland, apparently.
0: Well, Ireland would rather be connected to Scotland.
1: This is Northern Ireland. All quite complex and debatable, and yeah, but let's, let's, let's not make assumptions about who wants to do what. So they'd rather be full Ireland. Mm, yes. <laughs> Anyways, so while Robert the Bruce found inspiration, Brooklyn is also a place of death and despair. In the 1570s, the Scottish MacDonalds of Antrim were attempting to assert dominance over stretches of northern northeastern Ireland placing them into direct conflict with Irish and English nobles and the crown. In an effort to protect the women, children and elderly of their clan from conflict, the military leader of the clan, Sorley Boy MacDonald, ordered that they be sent to Raflin Island for safety. The plan was far from perfect. Acting on orders from the nobility, Francis Drake, that Francis Drake, and John Norris went to Raislin. Drake battered the fortifications with cannon fire, allowing Norris to storm the ground and annihilate the 200 defenders. Despite the surrender of the island, Norris proceeded to hunt down and massacre the 400 civilians stranded on the island. Yeah, that that happened. Um, It is, was specifically, I will point out specifically Norris. Francis Drake's involvement with the whole thing is he was, Basically, privateering. He was hired by the crown to provide naval support of the initial siege. So he bombarded the fortifications with cannon fire, and then basically, once he had fulfilled his contract, off he went. And Norris hung around and did
0: terrible things. So he's got his own personal spot in a very dark, windy place. Yeah. So now that wasn't the end
1: of Scottish occupation of Raithlin. Just decades later, in the mid-17th century, Clan MacDonald was inhabiting Raichland once again, but they were also being hunted by another Scottish clan, Clan Campbell. It was yet another one of those Catholic, Presbyterian rivalries that had you know, crossed over into bloodshed, and the Campbells rounded up hundreds of the MacDonald clan's women and cast them off the jagged cliffs of Raikland to 230. Is he bleep, bleep, bleep Campbell? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it was, uh,
1: hmm,
0: or went out. I'm sorry.
1: Definitely, uh,
0: yeah. I picked the bloody ones this time. I don't know why. You did. You
1: did. But anyway, yeah. So um, with so much wanton violence taking place on such a small island, it's a little surprise that the locals regularly speak of hauntings at Raichlands. One such tale is that of fishermen sheltering and making tea in Raithland Island's cave. As they poured cups for themselves, a hand came out of the darkness bearing an empty cup. The terrified men didn't look up as their shaken hands filled the phantom receptacle, satisfied the spectral hand pulled back into the inky shadows. Some say that it was the devil himself looking for a cuppa, Others look to those who were mercilessly put to the sword in those caves centuries ago. Either way, it's said that none have dared to try and find rest in that cave ever since. The aforementioned Bruce's castle is also full of stories and legends. While it stands in ruins today, people have reported hearing screams and cries coming from the old site. A ghostly figure of a man in an old leather armor is often seen guarding the castle perimeter before he vanishes. One spirit even attempts to interact with modern day visitors. The brown lady, as she is called, walks the castle grounds and approaches visitors as if she is trying to speak. But before her so much as even a whisper can cross her deadened lips, she fades away. If the dark history and chilling hauntings haven't spooked you off, Raiselin can actually be a kind of delightful place to visit today. It's fairly easy to access. Um, fairies run to the island regularly. Uh, between uh, the island and the mainland uh, main uh, mainland town of Valley castle, and the island does have a variety of accommodations that fit just about every taste and budget so Happy traveling everybody
0: mm-hmm. Patrick says the hand with the cup reminds me of the major's mask in Zelda where the hand pops up out of the, the train asking for paper. <laughs> I forgot about that Patrick. We never played the major's mask. we did that
1: was one. Zelda game that we never
0: played.
1: Okay, that's why. That's why you probably don't remember. I it. don't remember it. Yeah. Okay. And oh, I think um, let's see. The the link that you shared, Patrick, I think uh, was <laughs> to another place that sounds similar, but
0: not the right quite one. the same.
1: I'll I'll you will. I'll I'll go and share share back. Ah, So, funding to
0: that. There we go. All right. So, we're going to stick in uh, County Atrium, and this is the Valley Galley Castle. Uh, Well, let's just say, if you want a nice place to stay, this might want to be on our list, right?
1: Which, Which one? I'm sorry. Valley
0: Galley Castle. Oh, uh, actually, it looks kind of nice. Yeah. I'd go there. Yeah. All right, so um, this is just a little ways down the coast, off the town of Alley and here, overlooking the North Channel between Ireland and Scotland, the castle has stood for almost 400 years. Today, it's a well-regarded hotel that makes you feel like, mm, maybe I'll just stay here forever. <laughs> Consider yourselves warned that you're not going to be the first one who's taken up permanent residence here. Very, very active spirits reside at this castle. The most well-known, of course, is the Lady Isabella Shaw. Lady Shaw found herself married to Lord James Shaw, who cared little for his wife, as long as she would eventually bear him a son so that he could have a proper heir. When Lady Shaw finally gave birth to a son, Lord Shaw took the baby from her and locked his wife in a tiny room at the top of the castle. One report says Isabella possibly went mad in the room, and given the way that she was so carelessly discarded and separated from her child, it's pretty easy to understand why. As anyone would like to try to do in her situation, she tried to escape from the room. Unfortunately, while climbing out of a window, she tragically fell to her death. At least that's the official story. Many speculate with justification that Lord Shaw or someone hired threw her out of the window at the top of the castle. Because, after all, she had fulfilled her role to Lord Shaw. He was a piece of work. He's got another place in a fiery place. Now, Isabella roams the castle in search of her baby. Guests hear strange noises, witness a mysterious green mist, and sometimes smell old vanilla scents the lady was known to wear. She's most often seen in the tiny old room she was imprisoned in. I'm watching them. Okay. Uh, Today, it's been federally been named The Ghost Room, which guests are welcome to visit, but no one's allowed to stay there anymore. Isabella is not alone in haunting the castle. There's also Madame Nixon, the sister-in-law of John Shaw, who was lord of Ballycastle in the 1800s. Madame Nixon came to live at Ballycastle with her brother-in-law after her own husband passed away. Even though the time of the Shaws and Madame Nixon are long since past, the Madame still lingers in the comfortable confines of the castle. Guests often report mysterious footsteps and glimpses of a phantom woman wearing a silk dress roaming the halls, matching the description of the madame. The sound of the child running around playing and laughing is also heard around the castle grounds. Uh, Cat politics. Now, of course, this is also when none of the guests have kids with them, and the restless child is known to knock things over and to unfold the sheets and towels much to the chagrin of the unsuspecting staff who needs to now clean up after the mischievous spirit. The identity of the child is uncertain, but they may be from the culture of 1600s when the castle was attacked on numerous occasions and missed the near fighting between the English, the Irish, and the Scottish. Or they could have just succumbed to an illness as many children did during the era before modern medicine. No matter why they're in there, they do seem to be making the best of their situation, having a leave at the pond on the other side of the bed. Yep, yep, we're good.
1: Okay. Sorry. It's <laughs> There's some
0: <an> interesting <laughs> noises there on that. It's a distracting evening around here. It is.
1: The cats are all wound up. There's some something outside. Yeah. But yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, the the Ferris heart wrestles tonight. <laughs> is that uh, even a full moon? Nope, nope. It's just uh it's Saint Patrick's Month. It is. Saint Patrick's Month in Richmond. Might be only a Monday. Doesn't matter. <laughs> oh so
0: good.
1: He he's been uh at full alert since his brother chased Muna off.
0: Are you going to go check on them? Please don't. Be a good brother, not a bad brother.
1: Well, if you put it that way, I'm just going to take a nap. <laughs> 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 All
0: right. So we're going to go ahead.
1: We are going to move a little southward. Uh, we're going to go uh, just down, uh, down, just a little over 100 miles. 100 miles. In Ireland,
0: takes a little time. It takes a
1: little time, but it also gets you a pretty good distance. Yeah. This is actually going to put us all the way down by Dublin. So, uh, And uh, if we go and we come on down there to the south and we stay just to the west of Dublin to, you know, inland a little bit, uh, we will find the historic university town of Maynooth. Now, it is home of Ireland's main Roman Catholic seminary, St. Patrick's College, which has been churning out priests since 1795. Despite the holy nature of the institution, there is one particular room there in the Rhetoric House that has been associated with demonic apparitions, suicide, and paranormal activity for over 150 years. Now, I do want to pause here for just a second. If you know, Rhetoric House is really kind of an odd name, but you know, and, uh, particularly considering that today. Usually when people use the word rhetoric in conversation, it kind of has a negative undertone, a negative connotation to it. But it is synonymous with oratory and speech in general. And these are skills that are going to be very important to anyone who wishes to speak in front of a congregation. So to call a called place at a seminary the rhetoric house, it, 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 it isn't appropriate. Yeah, it, it, it isn't necessarily meant to be a negative, negative phrase in this case. So now – That said, in the mid-19th century, in room two of the Rhetoric House, two young seminarians took their lives 19 years apart, and the room has been the source of many tales ever since. Rhetoric House was built back in 1834 and was initially a residential house for trainee priests. It now hosts the Department of History. On March 1, 1841, a young student from Limerick by the name of Sean O'Grady jumped out of the room window and fell to his death. It is not known as to what possessed O'Grady to do such thing, but the common legend suggests that a diabolic presence had something to do with it. Nineteen years later, another student, Thomas McGinn from Kilmore, arrived at Maynard. Upon his arrival, he was assigned to stay in room number two. He only spent a week there before he was moved to a different room and was subsequently told about the death of O'Grady 19 years earlier. For whatever reason, the news chewed at McGinn night and day, at least until a faded Friday morning in April of 1860. And on this day, McGinn attended morning mass as usual. But after leaving the service, he proceeded to rhetoric house, room number two, where he cut himself with a razor and then threw himself out of the window. Dr. McCarthy, the former vice president of the college, visited him in the infirmary. He didn't die right away. uh, Before, uh, he did eventually succumb to his injuries. Now, McGinn provided Dr. McCarthy with a terrifying account of what happened in the room and led to his drastic actions. McGinn told him an overpowering feeling to grab the razor and to cut his own throat a feeling uh, that he fought with all of his willpower. It was almost like his hand, his arm was possessed by, you know, by some unseen entity. And, you know, um, in an effort to end this possession, McGill threw himself from the window to escape the room. So he did deliberately jump out the window, but he was doing so so that his he wouldn't cut his, throat. his possessed hand wouldn't cut his throat, the razor. It's really kind of messed up, but... Yeah. I mean, I guess that's where time there. Yeah. Thomas McGill ultimately, again, did succumb to his injuries. After this, the tale goes on to say that a priest spent a night in the room and was so terrified by whatever he saw that his hair turned bright white. He refused to ever speak of what he saw, taking his experience to the grave. Obviously shaken by all the events that had just taken place, Dr. McCarthy urged the trustees to take action. And the result was the uh, resolution in the trustees' journal, which reads, October 23, 1860, the president is authorized to convert room number two on the top corridor of Rhetoric House into an oratory of St. Joseph and to fit up an oratory of St. Aloysius in the prayer hall of the junior students. No more people staying in the room. Yeah. They can go pray there. No more staying there. Today, room number two serves as a waiting area among academic offices. The most prominent feature is a statue of St. Joseph that still stands in the room to this day. And if you don't know this already, he is considered the patron saint of peaceful death. The window that O'Grady and McGill threw themselves from has been sealed, but it is still visible from the outside of the building. There is a reoccurring story amongst main youth students that the dark stains on the floor are human blood, allegedly confirmed by the college's chemistry department, and they can't be removed no matter what cleaning products are used.
0: So, creepy place. We want to know if we think they're the leprechaun
1: They, or, well, I mean, That's the, yeah, they're they the going gamut. I mean, there I, are some
0: dark ones out there. There are
1: dark ones out there, and I dare not speak ill of them. No. I might leave it at that. I mean...
0: I've had I, good relations with the Fae, and I'd like to keep it that way.
1: Yeah. I personally have never encountered one. I don't expect that I ever will. But it doesn't mean I'm going to discount their existence.
0: Yeah.
1: Lest I tempt fate. But speak out? No. Always respect them. Yep. Even if you don't believe in them, respect them. There's nothing wrong with respecting them. No harm in it. No. So
0: that will keep you alive a lot longer.
1: Exactly. <laughs> Whitney says, "Good answer. <laughs> I've had <vain> come for too." <laughs>
0: yep. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna uh, be on the South County Dublin. <laughs> uh the Old phone House the old bone road, and the daughter, D-O-D-D-E-R, by the way.
1: Not daughter.
0: Daughter. Not daughter. 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 Daughter-ing. And yes, you know, decided that she's going to break this with her presence. She doesn't like it. maybe she's a nitropan. What? She was missing her. Oh. <laughs> she didn't like that. Anyway, moving we around to the southern outskirts of Dublin, we have a site where Old Bond House once stood. This house was built in 1635 by William Butler. This was a time when the normal residence for a gentleman in a remote district was fortified castle. We're about to get a blockage,
1: sir.
0: give Come on down. Come on. There you go. Because obviously we cannot show Una no off without having a sir. Anybody? Oh, okay. Anyway, so yeah, Fortified Castle is your gentleman's residence. No man's home is castle. Yeah. However, this house was enclosed by a wide note. while the evidence has been lost to time. Access was publicly provided by a drawbridge. To the front of the house, there was a large pleasure garden laid out with walks and avenues of trees. The need for such fortifications was evident when Old Dom House was damaged in the Irish Rebellion in 1641. The house was restored, occupied, and continued. A census in 1650 reveals that there were 30 occupants of the house when, in addition to the Buckley family, there were servants such as a dairymaid, a porter, a brewer, a game boy, and a stagler. Elsewhere in Old Bond, there was also others who worked the estate, such as the gardener, the sewers, the smith, the carpenter, the miller, and the laborers, rebuilding a, a thriving village economy based around the house. After the Bucallois house passed on to Lady Tint, it and in 1830 Old Bond was bought by the McDonald family, and they established a paper mill behind the house. The house fell into disrepair during the early 1900s, and eventually what was remaining of it was demolished in 1976. Until the home's demolition, uh, local lore said that every year on the anniversary of the death of William Buckley, coach drawn by six headless horses containing two passengers attended by two footmen drives up to the house. Woe upon anybody who tears at the coach, for they would be fated to die within a year. cares in the Devlin area though. Horses returning to the ground. However, neither coach nor working can ever actually be seen. Good
1: evening. Yeah, All the kiddies coming around now. We need Lulu. Lulu's
0: in bed. Yeah, Lulu tucked herself in as she usually does at this time of the evening. This is true until I come to bed and then she's thoroughly put out. <laughs> Not by me. She just decides to be put out herself. Yeah, it's what it is. Clearly, Can't get here soon enough. All right. <laughs> Woo. So,
1: yeah, we'll now swing back to County Flago, where we started the whole show, and uh, here we will find Claddagh Castle near the village of Moglemore. Now, Claddagh was intended to be built for the third Viscount Palmerston but the house was not completed before his death in 1865. That responsibility fell to his son, the Right Honorable William Cowper Temple. The castle would fall, or fall, not, The castle would pass through several families and generations, including the Mountbatten. The Mountbatten name will probably sound familiar as Lord Mountbatten, the first Earl of Mountbatten, was an uncle to the late Prince Philip, who was, in turn, the husband of the late Queen Elizabeth II. He is also the same Mountbatten that was assassinated by the IRA in August of 1979 when a bomb was detonated on his lobstering boat off the shore of Montemore. It wasn't only Lord Mountbatten that died in the explosion four people passed away, including his grandson Nicholas, the Lady uh, Braubourne, and a boat crewman named Paul Maxwell. Placibon Castle at times has had a tumultuous history. It was used as barracks for the Free State Army during the Irish Rebellion of 1916, and during that occupation, Lord Mount Temple, who owns the castle at the time, emptied it of all furniture, and, and uh, it remained as such until 1950. Even though the castle was returned to Lord Mount Temple intact at the conclusion of hostilities, it was Mountbatten that would modernize the castle in the late 1940s, adding electricity and running water to the structure. Until that time, the castle was lit using oil lamps and candles. Rainwater also needed to be captured for fresh water, else donkeys would need to haul barrels of water to the castle. Today, the castle does remain in private hands, owned by the estate of Hugh Tunney. Despite the fact that the castle has almost always been privately owned, haunting tales have surrounded the castle, particularly since Lord Mountbatten's death. Legend has it that his ghost is still roaming the halls of the castle, unable to find peace as a result of his violent and sudden death. Today, the pristine village of Montlamour belies the violent event of August 1979. In the summer, holidaymakers crowd the village, and it continues to thrive as a tourist destination, basketball and serving as a beautiful and haunting backdrop for thousands of photos every year. The could done more than Mount Mountbatten, Lord Mountbatten, loved classic ball castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, he spent a lot of time
0: there, lots, a lot of money renovating the place. Yeah. And one yeah. here is literally went into that house. So not surprising
1: that some people, you know, some people say that he's unsettled because of, you know, how he was ultimately killed, but, um, I mean, it could very well be that he lingers about there just because he, you know, loved the place and spent so much time there. So, yeah, messy, messy chapter of uh, more modern Irish history.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to go um, to... That just
1: a second. Did I missed Leap Castle.
0: We did that
1: back in the first one, I think. Yeah, we've done Leap Castle before. This is the third time that we're doing Quantum Ireland, yeah. so... I'd have to look back and see exactly when Lake Castle was, but I We've done it. I'm pretty sure that we have done it before. So yes,
0: it might have been in one of our castle editions.
1: That could be too. Uh, go ahead.
0: Okay. Here's the digs.
1: It won't take me long.
0: <laughs> All right, so we're going to do County Off Lake, which is actually where Chris's uh, clan is from.
1: So kinda of going
0: home for us. <laughs> so this is uh, Kennedy Castle. And one of these tales is from the castle, of course, in the 19th century Gothic Revival. It's built on lands that were worshipped upon by Druid's monks alike for centuries. It seems that one of these holy people decided, he he's just going to hang around, take up residence in the castle, because he was there first. His presence is not entirely unwelcome. In fact, those that now work at the castle hotel have uh, come to affectionately call their residence here at Hugh. He knows that that's really his name, but it's Hugh. <laughs> now, note that we said Hugh is not entirely unwelcome. He hasn't hurt anyone, but his appearance and meandering spirit has startled several guests at the castle. He also has spoken to members of the staff, making grim predictions about the future that have left them rather, well, wary and unsettled. Still, Hugh and some other resident spirits at the castle are accepted as part of the ambiance. While the hotel doesn't necessarily advertise their presence, they don't deny it. They don't discourage talk about the permanent spirited guests. Regardless of whether you're looking for a spirited encounter or not, the stay at Canada Castle might be considered a must by many travelers. I think we need to go. I'm not. I'm, I'm down. We need to go visit a few castles again while we're in <laughs> All right, so uh, while we still... Searching. Oh please, do, carry on. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Abbey of the Black Hag in Kimboldon, County Limerick. Now we can find the remains of St Catherine's Augustinian Abbey, which is one of the first nunneries that was in Ireland, named after Catherine de O'Connell, which was originally thought to be founded in the 13th century for Vatican records. However, it may be 100 or so years older than that. Um, it has fallen in. You know, to the elements, to the remains of the abbey and the rectory are still evident there today. Uh, the local name for the ruins... I'm going to say bless you to myself before I say this. <laughs> and I'm apologizing to anybody who speaks Gaelic or Irish. monster nen It's pretty close. It's like this one. not the longest one. That's Welsh. Wales. Anyway... It was a very rough translation for the Black Nuns Abbey. and It has been the source of paranormal and archaeological intrigue for many a century. Local legend says that the last abbess prior to the Abbey's dissolution in 1541 practiced the dark magic in a room south of the church, which has become known as the Black Hag's Hell. With here, she worshipped Satan and became a slave to the occult. This was the highest form of blasphemy, and the other nuns in the order fled their defiled home in fear, while the hag, as she had become, remained her house of darkness. To complete her rituals, the black nun would go out into the local community and perform the depraved acts and offer sacrifices partly substantiated by the discovery of the building of children, including a sign. It said that the death wasn't enough to bring it her practice out of the dark arts um, to an end. So her terrifying spirit with blackened skin and clothing said to still wander the room looking for the blood of a living thing her existence. So look No. Let's try uh devil. A what? Um stories of the devil. There it
1: is. No, that's priestly. Oh. So,
0: okay. oh, then left castle, the one of the ones with the devil is top playing card.
1: Well, I think we have a different... a
0: different one. Okay. might be a have one. We might not have done these. Like, like sure we we'll, we'll have to figure it out.
1: It may out. not have been Facebook Live. It may have
0: been the guys
1: now. Oh, that's going back a little ways.
0: Yeah. Anyway. We, di- we digress. Yeah. So Sorry, Whitney. I know we've done it. It just may not have been Facebook Live. <laughs> The line between fact and fiction here is heavily blurred, and it was uh, during the Reformation when Henry VIII was looking for any excuse to dissolve the powers that be. There was also a time when the Pope was receiving reports of witchcraft and black magic from all across Europe, and it was, of course, people believing the word of it. So was there truly a dark magic being performed at St. Catherine's, or was it a smear campaign by the Catholic Church for the Reformation? They likely will never know. But many of the locals hesitate to discount stories of the black Nun lest they become a victim themselves. Another ghost is said to stop the abbey as her story is no less disturbing. The story starts with the Earl of Desmond, who was the house of Fitzgerald. His family was involved in a lengthy and bloody feud with the butler family of the earldom of Ormond during the 15th century. It was a major battle for some privacy. It was bitter, complicated, and it's a tidal wave of uncertainty and despair across the country. It was so bad that in the Chapel of Devlin Castle, the Earl of Archbishop of Clowns decided this prayer at mass. Eternal God, there are two mun- in monster that destroy both us and our property. The wits of the earls of Ormond and Desmond together with their band of followers. Whom in the end may the Lord destroy through Jesus Christ our Lord, all men. He we'll literally tried to call down the rat who got on them. I would have been amused if lightning just struck. Slowly would have been amused. On an occasion when the Earl of Desmond and his wife, the countess, were traversing the countryside, walking alongside their horses, they were accosted by followers of the butler number. Outnumbered, the Earl clambered onto of his horse and moved to pull the countess up with him. As she was mounting the horse, an arrow pierced her thigh, shattering her belt. The earl made haste across the landscape as the countess took on a deathly parlor. The earl sought sanctuary at St. Catherine's Abbey, hoping to get treatment for the countess. Alas, she seemed to be quite dead. The earl and the nuns laid the countess to rest by the altar, and the heartbroken earl continued on. As time passed, the order of nuns began to hear blood-curdling screams in the night. Unable to cope any longer, they decided to reenter the countess in hopes of bringing her peace. The sight that greeted them, grieving the burial, was horrifying. The countess's fingers were worn to the bone, and her coffin slid with claws from the inside. Poor woman had been mistakenly buried alive. This day, the countess has been unable to find peace and continues to scream in anguish, waiting for her husband to save her from a fate truly worse than death.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, just uh, got to be careful calling down the red guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes, agreed?
0: Yeah.
1: It's yeah. A, it's, that's a, a risky proposition. It
0: could go back on you. Yes, that too. Anyways, what do we got next? the red berry.
1: Ooh, okay. So we're going to go over to County Clare and here we find the shell of the once very fine Le Mans Castle. Le Mans? Le Mans? Le Mans? Le, uh, Le Mans? We're going to go with Le Mans. Now, situated on the edge of the burn, this castle was once a stronghold of the O'Brien clan. In the 1630s, it came into the possession of Conor O'Brien, and together with his wife, Mary MacMahon, they added various extensions and outbuildings to the castle grounds until it was one of the grandest in the country. The extensive work on the castle was possible due to Mary's considerable wealth, which she had inherited after the death of her first husband, Daniel Nayland. Mary and Daniel had three sons together, and after Mary and Connor, she had several more children with him, making for quite the extensive household. Today, the once-magnificent house stands abandoned and, by many accounts, very haunted. For not all was happy and peaceful around Mary MacNan, or, as she was also known, Red Mary. Mary was aptly named not just for her flaming red hair, but also for her foul temper, which was legendary. It is said that if a servant were foolish enough to please her, they would be hung out one of the castle windows, the men by their necks and the women by their hair. If the maids did not learn to bend to her will, she would punish them by cutting off her breasts, their breasts. Uh, yeah, she was a piece of work. Another story tells that she kept a stallion in her stables and would challenge visitors to ride it. Once the beast was released from its bridle, it would run wild, galloping towards the moir, where it would suddenly stop, hurling its poor victims over the cliff to their death. The word Leman even translates as "horses leap." Even though her husband did not—excuse me—Even her husband did not escape her wrath. Mary would often ride with her husband at the head of his troops, but when one skirmish went tragically wrong, she displayed more steel than anyone could possibly imagine. Conor O'Brien was extremely vocal in his criticism of Oliver Cromwell, leading the Parliamentarian general Henry Ireton, who happened to be Cromwell's son-in-law. To send five men to shoot O'Brien. Although the attack was not fatal, Connor was wounded. Mary retaliated by ordering the man to be captured. After which she had him hanged. Perhaps mindful of the dangers of provoking such a powerful enemy, she advised her sons to surrender to Parliament. But uh, Parliament, <coughs> me, but Connor once again made a move against Ireton. A battle at the pass of Inchronon resulted in Connor being severely wounded. As the soldiers brought him back to the castle, Mary is said to have shut the gates. It is recorded that far from showing sympathy, Mary shouted at them from the top of the tower saying, what do I want with dead men here? She is later said to have relented and nursed the mortally wounded Connor until he died. Uh, But realizing that she might now lose her home, the ever practical Mary was forced to go on the offensive. Dressing herself in silver and blue, she called for her coach and proceeded to travel to Ireton's outpost in Limerick. Stopped at the gate, she cursed and screamed until Ireton appeared. He demanded to know why she was there, and Mary replied that she had been Connor's wife the day before but was now his widow. Ireton was disbelieving, so in order to prove her claim, Mary offered to marry any one of his officers who would take her. Captain John Cooper took her at her word enabling her to secure her property for her son's future. This union with the brave, or foolhardy, Cooper, was not without its difficulties, the most serious of which apparently occurred when Cooper made a disparaging comment early one morning about uh, Mary's former husband. Mary was allegedly so furious that she leapt out of bed and kicked him in the stomach. The kick was hard enough to cause internal bleeding, and Cooper died in pain soon after. There are so many stories about Red Mary and Lamont Castle that it is impossible to separate fact from fiction. Whilst it seems likely that she had at least three husbands, it is less easy to verify how many others there were. It is said that after John Cooper died, she went on to marry a further 25 men, each for just a year and a day. After this time, each of them could divorce the other. Some stories say that she merely put each unwanted husband into a house with a servant and banned them from entering the marital property. While other tales say that Red Mary simply killed each man once he had outlived his usefulness. With so many ongoing feuds, it's no wonder that Red Mary reputedly came to a very bad end herself. After the death of her last husband, it is alleged that she was captured by a group of her enemies and taken to a hollow tree. Here she was fastened up and left to die of starvation. It is not clear exactly where she buried, but her red-haired ghost is said to appear in two different places. One of these is at a Druid's altar near Clare Castle, whilst others say she walks the halls of Lamont Castle, giving it the reputation of being one of the uh, most uh, most haunted castles in Ireland. Red Mary's skeletal spirit can be seen amidst the ruins of the castle to this day, leading all but the most foolhardy of adventurers to give the castle's castle ruins a wide berth. No one with any sense wants Mary to think that they are there to challenge her lingering claim to the place that she calls home. She certainly has plenty of experience with disposing of those who she deems to be an inconvenience. <laughs> Patrick anger management issues right there yeah
0: Just all right so back to County Atrium uh, and the Grace Hill house and this is our final stop for the evening uh, this was built in the 1770s by James Stewart and it was named after his wife Grace Lynn the house was a cornerstone of a grand Georgian estate which was perhaps best known for its Avenue that approaches the house and its adjacent beech trees was intended as a compelling landscape feature to impress visitors as they approached the Great Hill House. Today, the awe-inspiring tunnel the Age of the ancient beech trees stretches along the drop road, intertwining and entangling to create the spectacular fashion of lakes and shadows. It's now properly known as the Dark Hedges. Yes, those ones. They're the most photographed phenomenon in Northern Ireland. They attract tourists from around the world, and, oh, yeah, you've probably seen them yourself if you have watched Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. Yep. Game of Thrones. I'm representing. I drink, (laughs) and I know things. Uh, Given the haunting appearance of the trees, it's a little surprise that they are accompanied by some haunting tales. A favorite local ghost story features the Grey Lady, a specter that lies along the Barrow road between the narrow beach trees, as she moves past the last of the trees she's anxious from sight, at least not until her next outing. Some of the local people believe she's the ghost of a maid from a nearby house who died in mysterious circumstances centuries ago. Others speculate that she's the daughter of James Stewart, referred to in some genealogy lists as Cross Peggy. Still, others believe that she is a lost spirit from an old deserted graveyard that is thought to lie hidden in the fields nearby. On Halloween night, the forgotten graves are said to open, and the gray lady is joined on her walk by the tormented souls of those who were buried beside her. I just want to go there on Halloween. <laughs> Not that I ever will go, but I want to go there on Halloween. Oh. Maybe one day, some many years down the
1: road.
0: And we have turned this over to somebody else. When
1: when we, when we eventually retire, (laughs) eventually,
0: eventually, we're in no
1: rush. Don't, don't let. We won't get into that right now. We have many more years of doing this. Um, (sighs)
0: That was it. That was it. That was it. Cheers, everybody.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining us for what was our third third
0: Facebook Live, but fourth Ireland. Yes. <clears throat> well,
1: we don't count the one. We did one in 2020 on Facebook Live. Really? It was it was the first Facebook Live that we ever did. We were sitting in front horrendous. of the fireplace, and we did it on the phone, so it was in portrait mode.
0: It was horrendous. It was absolutely
1: horrendous. There was no real script that we were working with. We just kind of had a couple of notes. cliff notes that we were just kind of winging it.
0: And
1: here we are today, like four years later. three now,
0: no scripted. Three I years later. Choose.
1: Three years later. Yes, and Beth has her scripts written for months on end. I just have a lot of editing to do. So we will be back in uh, two weeks with, which one was it? In
0: a minute. I'll look
1: it up. I'm right here, too. Oh,
0: excuse me. Uh, Tennessee. We're going to Tennessee. Oh, is Tennessee the next one? Tennessee is the next
1: one. Ah, April 3rd. Yep. So we got a series of states and, states. States and countries after this.
0: Yep. Then in uh, the 17th, we're doing Nevada.
1: Yep, we're going to go. And the
0: 1st yep. is when we're going to be doing Haunted England. And then we're going to do back-to-back.
1: England and Norway. Yeah. But,
0: because we're going to be on trip.
1: Yeah. So we'll
0: So uh, we'll get there when we get there.
1: Yeah. But yeah, we got a lot coming up, so yeah, I got a lot of editing to do. Yes, you do. And I'm looking and it's like, yeah, so that's just uh, that gets us into early May, and then I see, yeah, I've been busy. You have been busy. I got my work cut out for me. Yes, you do. But that's okay. So yeah, but yeah, uh, in the meantime, mm-hmm. big weekend this next weekend, so we hope that you can uh, come on out and see us there, and. Then uh, just another little friendly reminder that I guess it will be It will be before the next show is that um, we will be uh, at, um, not this coming weekend, but the following weekend is the RBA for Love Festival, yeah. of which we are a presenting sponsor this year. Yeah. So Beth and I will be there to take in the show and represent we don't have a table or anything like that but
0: we'll but be there you'll see our
1: logo and stuff like that we'll be around and uh
0: yeah we'll be there thursday friday and saturday right here in downtown richmond and so uh if you're not able to go to that but you're going to be in williamsburg that same weekend it's going to be off on yeah. by on too. yeah we're going to try to go down on saturday just as participants um just kind of check things out, that out. Yep. So, and maybe buy a lot of books maybe possibly not maybe. We'll to see who's there Selling their book. Yep. Let his arm rest a wee bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not like he has any muscles or tendons to get achy and tired.
0: It just walks up.
1: I kind of envy him sometimes. (laughs) (coughs) I digress.
0: Anyway.
1: We're good at digressing. But, yeah, so, yeah, that's all we got going on. And, yeah, of course, uh, we also have a Our tours going on as well. So this next weekend, we have tours Friday, Saturday, Sunday.
0: And we are going back to normal tour hours.
1: That's next weekend. Yep. Well, yeah. So this next weekend, we have Churchill on Friday night at 8 Mm o'clock. Saturday, we have Haunted Capitol Hill at 7 o'clock. Yep. And then on Sunday, Sunday we are doing Churchill again at 7 7 o'clock so a little bit of weird hours this weekend but it's all because of everything else that we got going on
0: uh tickets for those
1: t- uh those uh tours are on the website and then the weekend after that is
0: when we switch to our normal hours
1: our, well we start
0: getting back to it
1: so um we'll be going thursday friday saturday evenings um starting after that with um yeah the various tours at their various times yep. so but yeah oh. Anyways, I'm starting to ramble. Yes,
0: yeah, you are.
1: I'm um, sorry.
0: So we're going to say goodnight for the evening. We'll see you in two weeks unless we see you at one of those festivals and, or cons. Yep, don't be shy. We don't fight, usually. That's October. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, come on out. See us. Hang out with us. Say hello. Happy to see you all. And uh, if we don't see you in person between now and two weeks from now, we hope to see you back here for our next show in a couple of weeks.
0: Yep. Have a good night, everybody. Bye.